welcome to Okie Anime Podcast. I'm Pop. And I'm in St. Paulson. How's everybody doing today? Today we will be discussing Magical Girl Spec Ops Asuka, made by Leiden Films. Streaming on Crunchyroll and Funimation, and it ran from January 2019 to March 2019, 12 episodes long. I just want to say, this was an anime that there were parts that I liked, and there were parts that I disliked. I can agree with that 100%. There was a lot of uh, likes and dislikes in this one for me as well. Alright, well, let's start getting into it. In this first episode, we open up with a monster attacking a city. And all of a sudden, we see this girl transforming. Basically, it's a Sailor Moon transformation is what I got from that, but a lot dirtier. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you kind of reminded me of a Power Ranger, too. Yeah, I could have gone with Power Ranger, Sailor Moon, but like the weapon of choice, and then all of a sudden going naked with ribbons flying <laughs> yeah. around you. That was, that's Sailor Moon all over. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So then they dated all the way back to January 2016, and they stated that, the DSOS were starting a stealth mission to take over the world. About a year later, another world opened up to go against the DSOS, the Spirit Realm. They created a pact to save humanity. This is how the Magical Girls were created. This was the creation of the Spirit Realm Treaty Organization, and a result of that was the Magical Girls. So in October 2017, they clipped over to a volcano in the middle of the city is what it looked like to me with the magicals, magical girls looking like they were pretty beat up. And then we learned that the magical girls were made up of nine girls. Five of the nine are dead. So whenever they go up against the king of the Desus, we hear their motto. Whoever laughs last laughs the best. Which I <laughs> thought was the dumbest thing you could say before going into a heavy hitting battle. That was so weak. It was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was so disappointed with that. I thought it was going to be something badass, and it was just the lamest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I laughed my ass off. Yep, so then they time jump three years later at the school. They don't even show the battle or anything like that. It was just, no. they clipped it all the way three years later. Yep, I think it was just for the, the build-up of everything. Yep, and then we see one of the magical girls that we saw fight, that was going to fight the King of the Desus. This girl's name was Asuka. At this point, it seems that they're a rarity now, and they tried to go into hiding after defeating the Desus God. Asuka has some PTSD, it seems like, because the first thing that she sees is that she's imagining a child getting squashed by a man in a costume. And that's what the Desus were, but I didn't know the name before it at that time. Yeah, well, the Desus look like a bunch of like cuddly bear... Uh, stuffed animals or caterpillar-looking thingies. So after her PTSD episode, they clip over to a guy picking on this girl named Nozo. He flicked a cigarette butt at her, on her shoe. And then Asuka came up behind her and slammed into the ground, not realizing the girls from her class were there. She got up and walked right past him while the girls were stunned, and Nozo approached Asuka with Sayako bes beside her. And she thanked her for saving them, and Sayako and Asuka have a conversation about books, and Asuka says she doesn't know if she likes books or if they just help her forget bad things, which I can relate to because yeah. we all do things together that Take make us mind. forget the yep. past. Yep, and uh, she seems like she really, really, really wants to get away from her past. Uh, they did a really good job with 
showing her emotion, I think, in this show. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's when we see Nozo. She invited her to join the track team, which might just be something else. Because <laughs> Nozomi, she's a little little uh, lesbian. <laughs> uh, I think every girl in this whole entire show was. <laughs> yeah, because they're all in love with Asuka. Yeah, every single one of them. They don't love each other. No. They love her. She's definitely got a harem going on. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> then after school that day, a military man from the JSDF approaches her. And, of course, Asuka seems a little stunned that anybody would be waiting for her in a public place like that. And then we find out that the JSDF is creating a small grounds unit. He asked her to join and even brought up that Kurumi, the healer, was working for them. At this point, I didn't know what the other magical girls were doing. So it looks like they had their choice whether they wanted to stay and fight in a different organization or if they could leave like Asuka didn't try to make their own life. At this point... We don't really know anything about any of the other girls. All we really know is Asuka, and she just wants to escape from her past. That's what it looks like to me in this episode. So we find out that Asuka doesn't want to do it. She says that she fought enough for a lifetime in middle school. Middle school! Yep. So after this scene, I was a little confused. I don't know if this was a clip back in history, or if this was her leaving that meeting. So what happens is she goes home and there's some desauce in her apartment. Little itty bitty desauce, about the size of a of a cup. She asked where her parents were and was even willing to make a deal to get them back. Desa said they don't need to make a deal. They'd give them back little by little. The Desa disappeared and a box appeared. The parents' hands were inside the box. Yeah, and that's when I knew I was gonna end up liking this anime a little bit more than I thought. Yeah, because it it was a little dark. Yeah, it got a little dark. And then all of a sudden, right after that, they clip back to her talking to the JSDF agent, and he states that he's her guardian on paper. So that made me feel like that was from the past. That wasn't recent, but they uh, didn't. Nobody specified anything. I felt that. like that was a there was a plot hole there. I felt like uh, her going home was right after the meeting with Isaka, and then the bears. Poofed, gone, there's the box, and then fast forward a little bit, now they're having another meeting. They basically gave guardianship to him over her. I like Here's what I'm getting from this whole entire show. So the magical girls are created whenever they lose everyone in their life, they're alone, or they're getting abused or damaged. They're not chosen if they have a happy life. Really? That's what I got from this. So you think they have nobody, and those her parents, quote-unquote parents, weren't really her parents? They were just agents? Well, I think that the people's hands that were in there were her parents. I don't think she was a magical girl at that point. She had the knife out, though. At home? Yeah, she, she, she was on guard. She's like, I'll do anything. And she had oh, the knife out and everything. Know. I don't know. I got it from all the other girls. They had shitty lives. They were alone, and Asuka saved them or yeah, something like that. Because Kurumi got bullied and everything. Yeah, she was in a shit show, basically. Yeah. And everybody hated their lives before they became the magical girls, and all they ever dreamed about was becoming a magical girl. Okay, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I didn't think that one little bit, honestly, until you just brought it up. Like, I didn't... That does make sense, though, that the girls don't have anything, and then they're chosen to be a magical girl, to be something more than they, what they were. Yeah, I mean, that's just what I got from it, from all the clips. I mean, we haven't gotten into it on the podcast yet of 
the other girls, but mm -hmm. everything that I've gotten from the remainder of them, they all seem like they had terrible lives before they became this. Yeah. Well, we didn't really get into Asuka's life very much. No, we didn't. Hers was the biggest plot hole because it just kept jumping back and forth between her PTSD and everything else. Right. I got you. Yep. So the next day, Nozo walks directly up to Asuka and asks her about the person she met after school, and Asuka told her that it was her father. But Nozo then said, I thought, she, I thought yeah, I was, you were whoring yourself out. <laughs> so then, after that awkward moment, Asuka, we see Asuka has joined the track team in the book club now. She's become good friends with so, Nozo and Sayako, both. Yep. And then all of a sudden we're done with it after the track scene and her reading books. All of a sudden we're at a jailbreak scene. There's a high security van and there's a guy named Kim Conth on it. He's a terrorist from the East Asia United Front. Once they broke him out, he killed some cops and even bystanders. They're going on a like a rampage type thing. Kim was about to kill Sayako, and Asuka stepped in the middle and put up a shield even though she told herself she'd never fight again. But she knew she'd protect the people she cared about. Asuka then proceeds to chop off Kim's legs so he wouldn't die and she could turn him in instead. Which was badass. Yeah. That part right there made my jaw drop, like, instantly. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that was this, a little brutal. Yeah, this is going to make me like this show a lot. So there was a group of people above on the rooftops watching, and one was named Abby, questioning what a magical girl was doing there and stating that this was going to be fun while she was laughing. And this was the group that slayed her parents. Yep. One thing that I liked about this episode was that it was kind of brutal. I liked this episode due to the fact that it had good character building at the very beginning, talking about like the history lesson of where we're at, and uh, who the DSOFs are, and all that stuff. I rated this episode an 8. Yeah, I didn't have a rating for this episode, but I enjoyed it. The They did a great job of telling the history of the DSOFs and where they are in the world right now, but I have so many fucking questions still. Oh, yeah, it's a load of questions. Uh, some that don't get answered either. Yep, you're right. So we start off episode two with Azuka in Asuka's apartment, waiting for her after the battle. Immediately, he starts complaining about having to clean up her mess, even though Asuka has a magic ability to make people not recognize her after her transformation. Right. Azuka knows there's a new villainous organization being built, and they also know that Kim was a part of it. Unfortunately, the Metropolitan Police got to him before the JSDF did. The police will pronounce him dead the next day because dead people have no rights. So they'll pull whatever information they can out of him. So then we clip over to the police station and we see a glimpse of Kim where he's sitting in a chair where he looks naked and bloody. And looks then like he's got teeth on the table with pliers right next to him. Little, so they tortured uh, the shit out of this guy. Torture session, for sure. They they messed him up. Yeah, then we come to find out that Nozo's father is, is the one that's torturing <laughs> Yeah, so that's... That, that was a nice little twist right there. Yeah, it was. So, Nozo's father is a part of the Counter-International Terrorism Division Sensitive Communication Annex, a division that doesn't technically exist, is what he said. Yep. And Kim's guys, they want to take revenge on his death, but Abby would rather give them a gift of the Desus. Yep, the Desus. It gives them two of them. Yep. 
So then we clip over the girls sitting at lunch and they're talking about the magical five. First is a magical girl rapture, which is Asuka and Nozo and Sayako are just amazed by these magical girls and they mm-hmm. want to be the magical girls. Yep. Starstruck. Sayako starts questioning how the magical girls feel or think being as powerful as they are. And Asuka goes into a very descriptive explanation into her own feelings, basically. But, of course, Nozo doesn't know this, and neither does Sayako. So it clips over to Abby getting a call from Queen, and she says, We're really bad magical girls, and that made me question if Queen is actually the fifth magical girl that we never get I to. I predicted that. I actually put that in my notes. Yeah. Uh, the I'm thinking. Oh, I'm gonna get too far ahead of myself here. I better stop. <laughs> All right. Well, then we clip over to a Desus attack, and Asuka's in the mindset that they wiped out all the Desus, but it turns out they're being sold and purchased on the black market. So maybe that'll give her a little motivation to join the JSDF. So magical girl Karumi's already on the scene against the Desus. We figure out her weapon is a giant syringe that can shoot acid inside of these guys. I, what I gathered from it is she she can change that needle out for anything and use different stuff through that weapon. Yeah, she can. We didn't learn that till about episode five. Though. Oh, my God. Yep, so first thing she does, she injects poison into the desis. And it, we learned that it doesn't guarantee the kill, even though it's an acid type thing. Yeah. And his body started bubbling and melting. It she doesn't guarantee the kill. She realizes the bear is an evolution. Yep. So the teddy bear desis fights it off and it ends up knocking her back and the boobies almost popped out of that little nurse outfit. <laughs> <laughs> She's stacked, dude. Yep. So then the desis is charging at Karumi. It's about to dice her into pieces, and then all of a sudden, Asuka jumps in there, puts up the shield, and then slices off the bear's claws. We learn at this point that the Desus aren't the old Desus anymore. They're more advanced now, but Asuka still dominated with ease. Then we clip over to Queen. She's in an alleyway where the Desus was, and she's pissed off because Asuka and Kurumi defeated it. A cop told her to leave the area because he was trying to evacuate everyone, and... All of a sudden, you see a flying-looking gremlin behind the cop. Gobu! Yeah, Gobu. And then Queen all of a sudden just stabs him right in the fucking eyeball. Yeah. So then after that, Kurumi and Asuka have a little heart-to-heart, and Kurumi's been trying to get Asuka's number from Izuka for quite a while, it seems like. Yeah. And then Asuka explains that she didn't want anybody to have her number because she didn't want to fight anymore. And then here come Karumi with the low blow guilt trip. Oh yeah, I called her a bad person mm-hmm. because she was the reason why Karumi became a magical girl was Asuka asked yeah. her to be one. Yep. So then the next day Karumi walks into Asuka's class. And now they're classmates. Yep. And that's the end of episode two. Now we move into episode three and we get introduced to magical girl Mia. She has guns as weapons. She's a gunner. Mia has partners in her little party of three. She looks more like she's a mercenary than anything. And one of them mentioned that it's weird whenever she transforms in front of them because they don't recognize her anymore. But they know her identity, so they know exactly who she is. And they walk into this building. Mia can 
see through walls she and stuff. X-ray vision, and she sees that they're in a uh, drug cartel stronghold of some sort. So then she pulls out her gun and it starts charging up a little bit and it blasts a giant fucking hole in the wall through <laughs> all these fucking guys. OP as fuck. They find a hostage. Yep, they find a hostage in the back room and he's naked and malnourished and whenever they walk up to him he's only spitting out random numbers. And, and then, then as soon as they get near him, all that transparent sudden, box surrounds him and starts squashing him. Yep. And then he looks like Asuka's parents. Or a squished up cube with their limbs hanging out of it. Oh, yeah. So we clip back to the school, and Kurumi has explained to Asuka why she transferred to her class, and she basically threatened Azuka that she would leave the defense force because she thinks that it's, well, she wants to be with Asuka, of course, but she thinks it would be safer after the Halloween class incident if they had two of the girls together. And then you have Nozo and Sayako get introduced to Kurumi, and you can tell here that Kurumi is in love with Asuka. Yeah, she's she looks like she could be the jealous type. Yeah, she was very jealous, making sure to tell Nozo and Sayako that, that she's best Asuka's friends. best friend. <laughs> and they've been friends forever. Yep. So all the girls decide to have a pool day that Sunday, and Kurumi's first thought, of course, was Asuka in a bathing suit. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) So Kurumi and Asuka go to work out, and we learn Kurumi hated her self-life before becoming a magical girl. She had a flashback of getting bullied all the time in school. It seems pretty bad, too. Like, trash on her head, getting flushed down a toilet, that type of stuff. You know, the actual bullying type. After the flashback, we flip over to Izuka taking Asuna to what looks like a maid cafe, but it's really basically the Squad M's home base. It's headquarters, safe house type thing. Yep, so then we get introduced to Shima and Cade, who are not magical, but they can fight against magical forces. Yep, they're part of the uh, M Squad. Yep, so they get informed that criminal spirits are trading magic for rare materials from Earth leading to a new war with the Desis. That's where all this is starting now. Yep, and magical girls are being created illegally. So after gaining that information, they clip over to Nozo's dad interrogating the guy from the jail transportation bus for answers. And he said there's a new power, the Babel Brigade, saying this war will be more terrible than the previous. And right after that, they clip over to Swim Day, so I was thinking that this was going to be at like a beach and this was going to be an etchy bikini fest, but it was just the normal lap pool and they were wearing the full full swimsuits. Yeah. But Nozo put this together because Saiko is still in a bad place after the Halloween incident. And she knows that Saiko likes to swim. Nozo thanks Asuka and Kurumi for showing up to the pool. And the next thing you know, Saiko's on top of the high dive board and she looks like she's about to shit her pants. Uh, why is she up there again? She's up there because she's trying to face her fears. She wants to be like a magical girl, but she knows that she can't do anything except for watch. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is uh, the start of her little recovery to being normal again. Yes, so she jumps off the high dive board, goes under, and all the girls are really worried. So she eventually comes back up, and as soon as she comes back up, she faints again, and then all the girls they jump in and dive her. And save her, and then... So she 
explains to the girls why she did it and how she wanted to be like a magical girl. But honestly, this was really good for her mental state. Mm -hmm. Overcoming her fear. Yeah. So the girls are walking around the town now and they see a movie and Nozo invites them to come back. It's about a Megaton shark and then there's this girl with a bikini on and big boobies. (laughs) (laughs) You like them big boobies, don't you? (laughs) So then the girls agree to meet up later and Nozo's walking home alone in the dark and two creepy men trap her. They're abducting her because she's the JSDF's agent's daughter. So they take her phone and they text Asuka and they pretended to be Nozo and say, can't wait to see the movie later. And that's the end of episode three. Yes, sir. First scene of episode four is Asuka having a bad dream. PTSD dream. Yep. So she's on the battlefield fighting the King Desus and her companions on the ground dying. Her name's Francine. And Asuka is saying that she's going to go get Kurumi to heal her. Francine says there's not enough time that Asuka needs to become the next leader of the magical girls. Mm-hmm. Francine dies and Asuka wakes up in tears. As soon as that happens, Azuka calls Asuka in the middle of the night. And Akinori knows that Nozo was abducted. And another agent walks in and he asks what the demands to get her back were. And the agent says there are no demands, only revenge. Oh, then we clip over to Abigail, the illegal magical girl, and she looks like she's at this Korean barbecue joint and Nozo's there (laughs) tied up. Abigail's trying to scare Nozo, which honestly, it kind of was a little scary. Uh, Yeah, definitely. She's chopping up the meat with the scissors and she's grilling it and talking about how sharp the scissors are and how easily it cuts through meat. Then we clip over to Asuka again, and she's terrified because the only thing she wants to do is save her friends. Asuka is actually terrified because they think they kidnapped Nozo because of her. She thinks the Babel Brigade figured out her identity. But no, the revenge is actually because of Kim Khan. Izuka only tells Asuka that they took Nozo because her father worked for the JSDF. They were going to send a unit to raid the bad guy's place, but they decided not to because they may have more biological weapons against magic. They think sending them in will just result in a mass amount of dead bodies. Nozo's father is in the precinct, and they're telling him the bad news about not going in. He gets upset and is asking if he's supposed to just let her die, and the lady, which is kind of fucked up what she says right here, says that her sacrifice would bring the budget to go after them. Yeah, that's fucked up i don't as me being a dad and hearing that i don't know how i'd react to that honestly yeah, but yeah i think too we have a no terrorist uh negotiation deal as well like we're we wouldn't be able to do anything like that oh yeah you're right Oof, that's not just them it's us too. <sighs> like that's a real life deal yeah that oh dude that'd break my heart I'd, yeah i'd Probably go off myself, honestly. (laughs) But then the lady says, if a magical girl showed up randomly, like with the Halloween incident, then that would change things. And of course, we know Asuka's going to go. She's going to go right after her. Yep. So then we clip over back to where Asuka is, and then she's talking with Azuka. And Azuka says that he won't send in Asuka by the JSDF order because of between the JSDF and the police force. 
So Kurumi shows up to the maid cafe. Azuka called her in as well. And now Asuka and Kurumi are on their way on their own accord. Then we clip over to where Abigail is. And we get introduced to Povar and Storos. They're brothers from Russia. Two Russian brothers. So we see Nozo strapped to a table. And you see tongs are heated up, and they place those tongs on her skin. They start to torture her a little bit, and Abigail's recording it. All of a sudden, you see the tongs lifted off her skin, and you see the skin, the, the flesh, flesh come off with it. Oh, that it was. It made me cringe a little bit yeah, just that thinking about that happening to myself. Oh, yeah, they're making a video though, so they can send it off to the police to. Basically, try to negotiate, but Asuka and Kurumi show up in the middle of it. So, yeah. the the basic torturing that they were doing for the video was useless. So the plan for Abigail was to send that video to the police, but she had no idea that they were already on the way. Right. So then we learn that Storos has magical abilities as well. So he's one of the magical mercenaries. And it's a, some sort of water ability. The water spirit. Yep, it's a water spirit called a Rusalka. They were made from drowned women, is what they stated. Russian women. At that. Yeah. So Storo starts to use that Rusalka on Nozo, and she starts to drown, is what it seems like. And you can see the insides of her body start poking out yep. from the mass amounts of water inside of her. They call him the Watchman, and they call Povar the Chef, and. I don't think he has any magical abilities, but he says you'll found, find out later why he's called that as he whips out this cleaver. Yep. So the whole goal here is to get the magical girls to come save Nozo. And Storos asks Abigail what they gain from capturing a magical girl alive. And Abigail says, the development of a girl of mass destruction. And this is the first time that we are introduced to this topic. Very first time. Yep. So... Next thing you know, Abigail's flying troll Gobu is on the roof, and he has a compass thing, and I think it senses the magical girl's getting near. And he uses this telekinesis power and warns Abigail that they're there. But whenever Kurumi and Asuka decide, or attempt to enter the building, Kurumi uses that acid to take out the doorknob and enter quietly instead of just rushing in gung-ho. So as soon as the doorknob disintegrates, Asuka peeks in there, and there's a trip wire there. She orders Sachu to deactivate it, so Sachu, the magic spirit cat, bites down on the trip wire, and it breaks. So they, so they go downstairs, and then there's a guard down there, and Asuka takes him down with ease, and Kurumi uses a truth serum on him to find out where the location of Nozo he admits to them being in the basement torturing her. There's ten total, but th- only three of them use magic. Abigail, Povar, and Strozo. Nozo is bound by her arms now to the ceiling, and Abigail greets Asuka. Abigail tells them that this was to lure them out for Queen's ambition. Abigail says if they come with her, then they'll release Nozo, which of course is not an option. They deny Abigail, and Abigail immediately chops off Nozo's arm. Wicked. Uh, jaw-dropping moment, for sure. <laughs> yep. Of course, Abigail acts like it was an accident and says that she meant to cut the chain, 
and she tells them to throw down their weapons and says she'll kill her for real this time and holds the scissors up to Nozo's throat. Asuka drops the, I always call her weapon, the scythe knife. The scythe knife? And Kurumi shoots a needle out of the syringe. So this is the first time we got to see her use the syringe as a truth serum. And we got to see, see her use it as like a projectile. Hits Abigail on the shoulder and it pins her to the wall. Asuka and Kurumi charge towards Povar and Strozo. Asuka pulls a pistol out and starts firing. Povar and Strozo have shields that block the projectiles. But then Sachu goes and breaks the chain off Nozo's other arm. And Kurumi carries her out of there while Asuka shoots and distracts the enemies. The bomb that was on the door, Asuka ended up taking. She pulls the pen and threw it at him. The girls escape, and Abigail pulls the needle out of her arm and starts yelling, Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Lots of F-bombs. I was like, holy shit. This is definitely not for the kids. <laughs> so Asuka gets outside, and he's about, she's about to face off with Povar and Strozo. And Asuka attacks, and Povar blocks it with his axe, which Asuka seemed very surprised by. I guess normal weapons can't block her knife sight. Well, that's not a normal weapon. Yeah, and that's where we learn this. The axe was actually created by Eternal Ironworks magic blacksmith, Ilmarion. Yeah, I couldn't pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) So Asuka questions where he found a relic like that, and Strozo slams her against the wall with his water, and Abigail goes to try and follow Kurumi. Strozo and Povar are also Russian special forces, so their fighting techniques are yeah. a lot better than the normal magical assassins that they're facing. Yep, she notices she noticed the breathing technique is some sort of Russian yeah, breathing it's called technique. Sistema. Yeah. So Strozo is using his power of a dead spirit and human martial arts together, so it's basically a double threat. And Povar starts to justify that they had to earn their salaries. Oh uh, yeah, they were working. Uh, well, their the quality of their work uh, determined their salary yeah. of the job. Yep, that's what it was. So that was the end of episode four. Yes, sir. So episode five starts off with Karumi healing Nozo's injuries. She also calls over to Zuka, saying that she recovered the hostage and that she's in stable condition. Asuka at this moment is fighting the terrorists, and Zuka is sending over an ambulance right now. Abigail is almost there, and her creepy self is wondering what sound the magical girl makes when her limbs are cut off. (laughs) Golly, I didn't catch that part. (laughs) Wow. So they retrieve Nozo, and Azuka and the maids are heading to support the magical girls now. Asuka is actually struggling against the Russian brothers. Yeah. They ended up telling the press there's someone with a bomb and that that's why they blocked off the air instead of saying they're dealing with terrorists. Nozo's dad informs Azuka that they got some information out of Kim and that they have illegally created magical girls backing them and magical mercenaries talking about the Russian brothers. Azuka says that was expected. It's the reason he created the M-Squad. They have realistic tactics for dealing with magical beings. Yeah. So Karumi's alone now, and she's about to go up against Abigail. Abigail Abigail used her magical girl transformation, and her tiny scissors turned into giant scissors now that she can turn into basically twin blades. Yep. Dual wielder. She calls herself magical girl Barber Scissors Abby. So dumb. (laughs) That's so dumb. 
Not gonna lie, she kind of hot, even though she's a fucking psycho. <laughs> you like him crazy though, boy. <laughs> you like him crazy. So now they clip back over to Asuka fighting, and Asuka blocks the water attack with her shield, and Pofar uses his axe to slice right through her shield like it was paper thin. Mm-hmm. So the water gets through there and starts drowning Asuka, but Asuka doesn't react like Nozo because she's combat trained. She still keeps her composure, and she's still fighting while this water has surrounded her head. Yep, and then uh, how does she get the water off her head again? She stabbed it, didn't yep. she? And like heated it up with she a uses, knife or something? She used her blade to either use heat or dispersed air inside of there, and the water yeah. bubble basically blew up. Gotcha. So Asuka uses an attack, and she says, Magical calorie roll-up. Um, and that frustrated me so fucking bad, man. Like, why are we talking about calories in a in a in a powerful move like that? <laughs> so Calor- she actually used it up. twice in this anime, and I I just it made me cringe here in the calorie roll-up. Well, <laughs> she's not time. she's not the only one that uses. Later on, one of the other girls uses it too. Yeah, she does. But basically, that attack sent a wind blade type thing at Strozo. He throws up the water spirit shield and it chopped that thing in half and it also chopped through him at the same time. So now Strozo and the Rasulka are dead. Asuka's scythe knife has now grown into a full-blown sword, which is the first time we've seen this. Povar whips out a pistol and starts firing at Asuka, but she blocks it with her shield. Asuka keeps charging forward, but she's come to a realization that using that wind blade move drained a lot of her magic. But with that sword, Asuka sliced right through Povar in one slice. She thanks their dead bodies for allowing her to get her magical combat senses back. Which was pretty dope. Cold-blooded. So then we clip over to Kurumi again, and Abigail really wants to kill her, but she can't because Queen's orders to bring them back alive. Abigail ends up releasing two of the Halloween-class Decess. These things look actually look like they're handling Kurumi with these because she's not a combat magical girl. She's a healer. So uh, a- Abigail also starts in on the fight. So now it's three on one. Kurumi ended up shooting a needle into the Desus's head, and it actually blew up. So that I was mean, one down already. Yeah, she's got some combat ability, but not a lot. Not like uh, Asuka. So then they clip over to Gobu notifying Queen of the Troubles, and this is where we find out that Queen really does know Asuka. Because she says, that's her Asuka. She said, that's my Asuka. Oh, yeah. That's, yep. yep. So that was the first time that we actually realized that, that they, Queen they've knew. been together before. Mm-hmm. So Sachu ends up finding Gobu and punches him with a spirit punch. Hachow! <laughs> because And the reason why he punched him is because he called them magical trash compared to Queen. Asuka ended up being there as well, and she hit Chu on the head because he tried to kill Gobu. But all she really wanted him to do was capture him while he was still breathing, so that way they could seal his magic. And question him. Yeah. So Asuka calls over to Azuka and tells him the magical mercenaries are down and they captured Gobu. He is pleased and orders Sachi to bring Gobu to them. Asuka finds out Kurumi is in in combat and starts rushing to her aid. So we clip back to Kurumi and Abigail, and Abigail's scissors are now turned into the twin blades. And they're fighting, and Kurumi gets hit by the Decess again. As we said earlier, her combat skills are terrible, given she is a healer, so it's a little bit more acceptable. (laughs) Kurumi's down and very injured. Abigail actually starts to cut off Kurumi's legs so she can't run. 
and a sniper bullet rains down from the rooftop at the desis. It's a magical bullet, and the shot was extremely effective and basically one-shotted it. The M-Squad is now rushing in to discuss who needs to attack who. They took down the Halloween class with these and are now attacking Abigail. Abigail's shield is definitely stronger than the Desus shields. The goal is not to kill Abigail, but to keep her where she is, so that way it gives time for Asuka to show up. The only way to deal with a magical girl is to send a magical girl at them. Asuka shows up from behind, and Abigail notices, but Asuka still manages to chop off her arm. And then, in spite, she says, you were so happy to cut off Nozo's arm. Asuka was going for the final blow when Abigail fell to the ground, but then a giant transparent cube surrounded her and squad M. Sachu spotted the source of the magic coming from the rooftop, and it was Queen. Sniper, sniper rifles fire at her, and this was a very badass moment to me. She pointed at the bullet right before it yep. hit her, and it stopped it dead in its tracks, and it disintegrated. Yeah, disintegrated it. That was awesome. She's going to be a force to be reckoned with, for sure. Yep, so Asuka continues to attack the barrier with no luck breaking it, and Abigail gets picked up by Queen. When Asuka sees Queen up close, she realizes that she knows her, but she doesn't know from where. Queen disappears, and so does the barrier, and now the magical signal is gone. Azuka claims victory, but Asuka doesn't because the terrorists only fled and they didn't, weren't able to kill them. But they saved Nozo, and they defeated two Halloween classes. Even if not a big victory, it was still a successful mission, is what Azuka said. Nozo is in the hospital with her father. It's late at night, and the war nurse and Rapture go to visit her in costume. By surprise, her father whipped out his pistol at them because of the noise, but quickly puts it down and thanks them for saving his daughter. War nurse was able to heal the external runes, but the internal is going to be the issue now. Seeing a small pair of scissors terrifies her, and she's also terrified of all magical girls, including Rapture and War Nurse, the two that ended up saving her life. When she was just wanting to be like them and love them, now her mind is completely flipped backwards. Mm -hmm. But War Nurse is able to remove that PTSD from her brain. It hasn't settled in long enough for her to not be able to wipe out the memories for the past week. Yep, it'll be the past seven days that go bye-bye and asuka doesn't like that she doesn't say anything but internally she uh has an issue with it so it was a tough decision but the father decided to go with it because it's going to make his daughter better mentally yep so kurumi actually needed sachu to bring up the scans of kurumi of nozo's brain and kurumi ends up injecting the needle into the back of her head and she injected her, She injected some fluid into a certain part of the brain that would erase, erase. Yeah, it would erase all the flashbacks and everything. Next thing you know, you're clipped outside, and Asuka is discussing with Kurumi that her dream when she was a little girl was to be a magical girl. But fighting the enemy isn't that simple. She let many of her comrades die in the war three years before. Seems like Asuka's got a lot of depression, a lot of PTSD. And they definitely show it in this anime. Yeah, they uh, they definitely do a good job at that. Some sometimes they do too good of a job. I think. <laughs> I agree. I think it's very realistic. Yeah. And this time, what happened to Nozo? She knew it, but she didn't want to admit it. But she can't protect anything in her mind. 
Rumi stands up and she basically reassures her that she's saved multiple lives today. Just because they got injured doesn't mean that they weren't protected. That's right. Basically giving her a pep talk. Yeah. So Azuka shows up and asks about the memory wipe of Nozo. He's told it's successful and he knows it hurts to have someone you know get caught up in something like this. He would love if they would solve this with only professional soldiers, but he knows he can't do it without young girls, which is pathetic in his mind. Very pathetic. He doesn't like using the magical girls at all. Asuka reassures him she knows there's only things that he can do and only things that they can do. And Kurumi is super excited that Asuka decided right now to join the Spec Ops team. Dun, dun, dun. And that is the end of episode five. Episode six starts off with Mia eating sweets with her two cohorts. Julia tells Mia that Rapture is back on the front lines now, so word sp- spreads pretty fast. And Mia asked Tamar, asked if Tamar is still with the Spetsnaz, which is one of the other magical girls that has not been introduced yet. Julia responded that that is correct. Julia pulls out a tablet and starts showing pictures of magical girls. She shows the pictures of Rapture, War Nurse, and Phoenix, stating that four of the five have returned to the battlefield. Mia states the only one they're waiting on is Pepe. She kind of wants to see her, and she kind of doesn't, is what she said. Julia tells Mia she might have the chance to see Rapture and War Nurse because her next mission is probably going to take her to Japan. We clip over to where Asuka is, and there's this lady there that asked for directions. I think she was from the U.S. She spoke English. Yeah, she looked like uh, an American type. Yeah, so she asked for directions to a hotel, and Asuka gave her those directions, and she kissed her on the cheek like five times. And of course, Asuka being... The lesbian type that she is started blushing real hard. <laughs> and I didn't think Azuka was a lesbian. I didn't think so either until everything that happens to her, she starts fucking blushing. I mean, who isn't gonna get bless you if somebody kisses him on the cheek? I'd blush if you kissed me on the cheek. I'd probably do the same. But I'm brown, so you might not be able to <laughs> anyways. So next thing you know, Psycho invited the girls to a study group. Asuka's the only one that showed up on time. Sayako has a lot of books in her room. She's definitely a bookworm. She had like yep. seven shelves full of books. Oh, yeah. And Asuka actually comments on that, and Sayako says that eventually she wants to become a scriptwriter one day. She asks what Asuka's dream is, and she says she doesn't really like herself, so she really doesn't have a dream. And Sayako jumps up and defends her, of course, and says, You're wonderful, so don't you say, so don't you say that. Don't you say that? So Nozo and Kurumi arrive, and Kurumi is freaking out, asking if hey, anything shit. weird happened. <laughs> she went ham on that doorbell, dude. Like, making sure ain't nothing weird going on. If so, Kurumi asks if anything weird happened between her and Saiko, and it's just kind of an awkward stance there because they did end up holding hands. So it clips back into the bedroom, and Asuka starts guessing at problems in the study group, and Kurumi leans over and plants her breast right on Asuka's arm to claim her territory. <laughs> Nozo is saying she can't do the studying stuff, and Saiko's telling her it hasn't even been 30 minutes yet. So Nozo says, once this is over, let's go to the Tanabata festival that's happening at the shopping district. 
Saika says she thinks it would be fun, and Nozo says they'll study better if they have something to look forward to and reward themselves with. Yep. Asuka's okay with them going. The mention she thinks Kurumi has something to do. And at this moment in time, I'm thinking that there's going to be a bit of another jealousy issue. And of course, Kurumi won't let her go alone. We clip over to Mia, and she's reviewing her next mission. And there's a man on her tablet, and his name is Leonid Greenberg, a Jewish-American mathematician. And he was actually the guy that ended up being squashed by the box in Mexico in her last mission. Leonid's younger brother, Jerome, is a millionaire who runs an IT company. And they stated he did own an IT company. He's retired now and living a comfortable life. But now no one can get a hold of him. The CIA's branch in Japan sent a micro drone to look into his room and he was squashed into one of those cubes like his brother and Asuka's parents. So the assumption is a powerful illegal magical girl or magical mercenary is involved and Mia assures that it's the Babel Brigade. The male agent at the table asks what she's going to do if she runs into Rapture and War Nurse and she says she won't let them get in the way of her work. Then we clip back over to the girls and they're at the festival in Yucatan. And on the news, they're discussing illegal mages. Nozo and them are having a great time, and eventually Nozo gets sick from eating too much food. Yeah, she stuffed her face. Yep, so Nozo's laying on Kurumi's lap saying, it feels so good, I didn't, and I didn't think that their relationship was like that quite yet. No, like, I didn't think so either. So then Nozo says that she's really good at taking care of people, not realizing that that's really her job. So Nozo's talking to her, and she brings up that Asuka and Sayako look like they're a couple, and Kurumi gets serious all of a sudden out of jealousy. She jumps up and runs over there to join them. Yep, because she don't want uh, them two to be alone, because Kurumi has a crush on Asuka, I'm guessing. Everybody thinks everybody's got a crush on Asuka. Oh, yeah. But, so Kurumi says... That she doesn't want her to go because she still feels ill. And then with this devil face, Kurumi says she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> so the girls are walking around and they run into M-Squad at the festival. Mizuka gave everyone the day off, so they ended up at the same place, just in different groups. Nozo and Sayaka asked to be introduced to their friends, and one of the members almost spilled the private info of who they are. And someone else came up with, they're in the same training gym as Asuka and Kurumi, which isn't a very good excuse. No, that was terrible. Yep. So they all start shopping and playing games at the stalls, and they're all in the same group now. Just but, hanging out. Yep. And eventually they separate a little bit, and M-Squad started to discuss how their job isn't going to get any easier with the upcoming missions, and Sayaka got depressing all of a sudden because she gets flashbacks of when the magic girl saved her. And we find out at this moment that the Desis wanted to use humanity as an energy source. If the Desis leader would have been fully manifested, every army on Earth would have been wiped out in 36 hours, according to Asuka. Mm -hmm. Nozo is looking at the bright side of all the negative news media stuff and is telling the girls that every army around the world is now learning how to deal with magic and there are more magical girls, even though we know that Asuka and Kurumi know everything there is to know, but those are just giving them repeated information now. <laughs> that sounds like a broken record. Yep, so Asuka 
she gets up from the bench for some reason, and she says she tells the girl that she's going to go walk around a bit by herself. She's feeling the weight of being a magical girl and people relying on them to protect everyone all the time. Asuka sees this girl in front of this wishing tree, and I can't remember what it's actually called. She asked Asuka what she wished for, and Asuka said she didn't have any wishes. The lady said that that's wrong. A kid needed to have wishes, so she wrote down, be happy on a piece of paper, and said that a kid's wish should be to be happy. Asuka questions her why she came to Japan, and she said she's looking for someone, a child she was separated from a long time ago. The girls find her and run up to her, and the lady disappeared. The lady is on a mission, and she's hiding in an alleyway, and she's on the phone. And the guy on the other end is saying, the bait has been taken. It will arrive in Yokota tomorrow morning. Mia's at Jerome's penthouse now. Mia mentions that there was a cleaning lady, and on the screenshot of the cleaning lady, the picture is of Abigail. So we definitely know they're involved, like we did from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be the first ones to look at the scene, because the police haven't gotten involved yet. So right. nothing's been touched. Mia transforms into her magical girl outfit, and she uses her senses to check the inside before entering, and no one is there. They find the cube, and it's the same as the one in Mexico. The body has been there for at least three months, is what they said. She walks into the bathroom, and there's writing on the mirror, He who laughs last, laughs best. And that's the saying of the magical girls. So right now, I'm thinking, hey, this that's, is Francine. Yep. Like, it has to be. She's it has the one to be. who's not shown up. It has to be. So some sort of gas starts to leak from the floor, and the lady at the festival is the magical mercenary. She's at the penthouse hunting Mia. Her power seems to be some ethereal claws or something like that. Yeah. She's capable of breaking through shields with ease with just one slice. Mia's magical bullets can't break through her shield, though. The lady's name is Crescent Moon Sandino, Colombian terrorist. She gets high off a combination of drugs and heat to better absorb magical power. Ayahuasca. It's a tactic commonly used by a Colombian shaman. Her family died during a bombing raid on the Desis in the U.S., and this is her revenge. Which didn't make sense to me because the magical girls saved. Yeah. So what does this have to do with the magical girls and hunting them down? Um, I have no clue. Maybe because magical girls didn't save... Her parents, I guess. Yeah. Mia decided to stand up for the bombing, saying their bombs killed 300 U.S. soldiers in the Sudan. At this point, Mia is questioning if she hates the Desis. Why is she trying to kill magical girls? She responded that her daughter died. The humans were the ones who killed her in that war. So she thinks that all humans need to die, no matter who they are, basically. Yep. Sandino wants the whole world to be swallowed up in her despair. They, they blew the floor from beneath her, and she was toppled by rubble. She's glad she didn't have to kill a kid, is what she said to Mia. Mia and says... Then, yeah, she says that she doesn't need to try for a deathbed of redemption. She's a terrorist, just like the one who killed her mom and dad with a bomb. Sandino understood the response, and Mia shot her dead. And Julia thinks that the Babel Brigade hired Sandino. And Mia says that's not correct. She's coming to a realization that one of the magical five is behind this, the missing one, since there are only four back in combat. We clip back over to Asuka and Sayako, and they're discussing the be happy wish. Yeah. And Asuka says she doesn't know what it means to be happy or to have dreams, but she'll protect and support someone else's dreams, so maybe that's her dream right now. Yeah, that's great.
Yeah. And then Karumi and Nozo come running and join them. And that's the end of episode six. And now oh, I'm going to let Insane take over this podcast for a little bit. Here we go. All right. Now we're on episode seven. Magical Girl Operation Development Unit. Uh, my notes I got started off of a recap of episode five. Itsuka's dream was to be a magical girl. Uh, this scene is where Kurumi and... Asuka talking, right? Yeah, they're talking about how many magical girls have died since she took over for Francine in the war three years ago. Yep, and then uh, Asuka's real down on herself, uh, basically fighting her heart. And Kurumi says, uh, you can't fight your heart, so let your heart help you fight. That was deep. That was probably one of the deepest quotes that I uh, heard in the show. Backflash. To them being in a war, this is where Tamara is introduced, um, a.k.a. Phoenix. Uh, she basically gives Asuka a pep talk, uh, just telling her to hold it together for one more hour so they can fight the uh, Desas King. And then back to present time, they are throwing a party for Asuka for joining the M-Squad. They... Uh, <laughs> it's a funny part. They actually feed her a bunch of MREs, and uh, she seems to enjoy them. Yeah, but it was honestly hilarious how excited they got when she said it was good. Oh, yeah. And all they did was heat it up in a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those MRE foods, you don't even have to heat up in a microwave. You just, like, mix them up real good. Yeah, and I don't like, even know what they up. heated up, though. It was like they looked like leeks or something like that. <laughs> uh the next scene, we're in Moscow, Russia with Tamara, a.k.a. Phoenix. She is in a meeting with her general from the Spezna. I'm, I don't know how to say that. Spezna. Yeah. Well, anyways, it seems like she is going to go to Japan uh, for this meeting. The Topology Bridge. At the or topology. No, actually, this one is the random bridge. And her general is basically telling her uh, she better do this right because her sister is depending on her. To me, it sounds like he's like holding her hostage almost, which is uh, kind of messed up. Yeah, no, we see her in a little jail cell basically, and yeah, we don't really know what's going on with her right now or why she was taken. Maybe it's just to control the magical girl. Maybe that's what I'm thinking is that the they just want to control her and make her do what they want. Yep, I think you're correct. So the explanation for these bridges is they're called one's called the Topology Bridge. It's a permanent bridge between the spirit realm and Earth. And there are other bridges as well. They're called the Random Bridges because they just spawn anywhere at any time. But we learn that they don't spawn in the same place twice. So we're at this random bridge, and terrorists are making a deal with the DSOS. They're trading them four humans for, uh, I guess, DSOS technology or weapons or whatever. Yeah, they're trading for weapons, and I, they might be trading for more DSOS as well, though, too. Yeah, and all, and all they had to do was give them four humans. So the battle starts. They ambush terrorists. Uh, after the DSOS done left with the four humans, um, Nazami, she is 
the uh, magical mercenary in this one. She's she's looks like she's a teenager too. Yeah, she has some sort of firebomb like, wand th- weapon. Th- boom, and... magic. That's what I said it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's basically what it was. Yeah, and uh, so they're battling and everything, and then she ends up getting her arm cut off, don't she? Yeah. So what happened was Asuka came in there and she was trying to plan an escape route. So she started firing off those bombs into the woods. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was M Squad was actually crossing right where she was firing. So one of her comrades got taken out. And that's when Asuka went into another one of her PTSD moments. She was yeah. like, I can't protect anybody. And yeah, but eventually she snaps out of that and she slices off Nazani's arm. Yep. And then they capture her, right? Yep. They capture her. And that's when Asuka says that. She wants to keep her alive so that way they can ask her questions and they end up taking her hostage. So Kazanov teleports out of there by using some uh, DSOS pills at the at the uh, risk of liquefying his organs. He teleports out of there and then Kazanov finds himself confronted by Tamara when she attacks he sees no other option but to use his last resort transformation transforming himself into a desas as one might expect Tamara has a transformation of her own shay <laughs> kazanov finds himself fighting phoenix one of the legendary 5 he believes he has the upper hand at close range but phoenix is prepared for that event she sh- demonstrates why she is called the phoenix by roasting Kazanov with her flamethrower, but allows him to live so she can try and get information about magic items. But before she roasted him, she shot him in the eyeball with a dagger. Yeah, which that helped backed him lot, off which because that lot. put the space between them she needed. Yep. And then Kazanov gives nothing away before committing suicide. And now we are in a meeting. Between the two leaders of the Babel Brigade, Lila and Guys. Lila hands over an envelope to Guys and tells him to look after the girl in the photo. The girl in that photo was named Chisato. And that brings us to the end of episode seven. And now on this episode, number eight, we get introduced to Chisito and her father. And he is trying to sell her to a brothel. Uh, worst father of the year. That's uh, that's fucked up. Anyways, the the dude that owns the brothel, he's like, uh, she's a minor. We don't take minors, and plus she's in a wheelchair, so she wouldn't be much use. And uh, that angers Chisito's father. He takes her back home, drinks a lot, and starts beating on her. However, she's useless, and basically telling her that. It should have been you that died and not your mom. And this and that. Basically fit, making her feel like a piece of crap. So after that, guy sends a breaking into the home. And he smashes the father's head. Yep, instantly. And then guys ask Chisito a very important question. Would you like to become a magical girl? And she says yes. So then there's quite the change of tone. They switch over to, of course, every magical girl anime has to have a beach episode. <laughs> yep. Good old Okinawa. 
All right, we're at the beach scene now. You got everybody. You got Nozo, Soyoko, Asuka. And then you'll notice Kumari isn't there. She's actually doing a little something, something elsewhere. She is actually torturing Nazani, the magical mercenary that uh, was at the random bridge. Well, she wants more information about the Babel Brigade, but Nazani isn't very forthcoming. Uh, War Nurse has a few tricks for her to make her victims talk. She is able to get the interrogation over with fairly quick and travel to Okinawa, where she is blessed with the sight of Asuka <laughs> in her bikini. So after their fun-filled day in Okinawa, well, we come to find out that Asuka and Kumari are sharing a room. Then it cuts to a scene of Asuka having a nightmare. And then she wakes up and Kumari's in her bed. She don't know why, but it actually helps comfort her a little bit because she has someone that she cares about close to her. Turning our attention back to Guys and Chisito, uh, Chisito, uh Guys <laughs> reveals that he was a uh, child soldier in Somalia. He was saved by the brigade leader who gave him the body he has now. Besides the offer for Chisito to become a magical girl, he has something else to give her, a prosthetic leg. She accepts it and shortly after transforms into the magical girl for the first time. A greed class, Desos, has been prepared for her to fight, which, which, which Whiplash dispatches fairly easily. Golly, talk about tongue twister. And after uh, Chisito fights this uh, Desos, we go back to Okinawa. Uh, where the girls are at practicing CPR. Asuka seems to be taking it pretty serious, but Soyoko is eager to learn from her, just in case if she ever needs to use it in the future. And then we go back to Chisito and guys. Uh, Chisito lost her leg in the same accident that took her mother, crushed by the car by drunk drivers, minors at that too. As for guys, he reveals how he became a child soldier and the horrific things he had to do just to keep his life. He tells Chisito that he, as he kidnapped the four responsible for killing Chisito's mother, he wants Chisito to kill them. The step he tells her that is necessary to become a magical girl. Chisito does as he asks. With that, the Babel Brigade is prepared to attack a big interworld conference that is due to happen in Okinawa. And that brings us to the end of episode eight. On to episode nine. We begin with Asuka and Kumari joining Izuka at the JGSDF Naha Garrison, where they learn that they will be playing a role of security for the upcoming six Naha. Preparations for that will involve meeting a certain someone that Asuka is not very fond of. Before that, though, there are a couple of familiar faces reuniting with. It's been a few years, but Asuka and Kumari are reunited with two other members of the Magical Five, Tamara and Mia. Upon meeting them, Asuka can't hold back her tears. She is just so happy to see them again. It's a fairly happy reunion for the Magical Girls, though. Little do they know that an enemy is preparing an attack right as they speak. Regardless, Tamara tells Asuka that she is, a, she is looking forward to working with her again. Elsewhere, Soyoko and Nazumi are enjoying the peace, with Nazumi even struggling, suggesting that they start living there. It is around that point that 
a rather odd couple asks them to take a photo. A girl with a prosthetic leg and a huge person who's hiding their face with a hood. It is Chasito and Guys with the latter using a perception filter to avoid any suspicion about his appearance. Night sets in and we see the magical girls preparing to turn in for the night. Asuka is texting Nazumi. Kurumi is admiring a photo of Asuka in her swimsuit. Mia is tending to her gun while Tamara is cuddling her gigantic plushie. The following day, the four gathered magical girls have a meeting with General Taberto. I don't know how to say her name right. <laughs> it quickly becomes very clear why Asuka isn't her biggest fan. The general loves magical girls. She is quite physical when it comes to displaying that affection, much to Asuka's dismay. After greeting the magical girls, Tabata reveals that she has a gift for the magical girls. New uniforms. Tabata's gifts are not well received. Fortunately, that was only a joke. What she actually has is a magical item that can enhance magical power. She wants one of the magical girls to use it. Moving on, the enemy starts attacking. Guys uses Cenobite class Desas to bombard the self-defense force base. Elsewhere, Halloween class Desas start attacking innocent civilians, and Nazumi and Soyoko are right in the scene. Azuka wants to go and fight the Halloween class Desas, as she knows that Nazumi and Soyoko are in danger. However, her orders are to remain in the base, and she is best at close combat. Fortunately, Mia is willing to go and deal with the enemy. With Mia and Tamara moving out to meet the enemy, Tabria is given the order to return to the spirit world. She protests but doesn't get her way. Not that it matters, as the enemy has disabled the bridge back to the spirit world. Now, the bridge is going to be down for 48 hours, and since the bridge has been shut down, they believe that their target is not the Six Naha, but General herself. As such, Asuka and Kamari will have to protect her for at least two days. The episode ends with Guys and Chisito preparing to enter the battle. That's the end of Episode 9. Episode 10 starts out with the forces starting their all-out attack on the military base. So I'll focus particularly on what each magical girl who is present is doing, as well as a couple of the civilians who have got caught up in the battle. Phoenix is using her flamethrower to wipe out large numbers of foes. The two civilians I mentioned are Sayako and Nozomi. Currently, they're running away from the Desus. One of the Desus attacks, but Nozomi is able to shove Sayako out of the way in time. She ends up injuring her leg in the process, but Sayako has no intention of leaving Nozomi there. Thanks to the sacrifice of a police officer, the two girls are able to get away. Elsewhere in Naha City, Mia is saving civilians from the Desus. They don't show her much gratitude, though, as they are scared witless and they're actually running away from her, too. Not that Mia has much time to concern herself with that. She ends up surrounded by three Halloween-class Desus. It seems like the magical girls in the Japanese military will be able to hold off the Desus, but it turns out that was only to give them some hope before crushing that with absolute despair. The Desus have their own firearms, which is new for us, which are even capable of penetrating just cause of shield. There are many casualties. As Asuka listens to the chaos happening above ground, her PTSD starts to flare up once again and she starts falling into despair about losing even more comrades. 
Kamuri comforts her with a hug. Asuka is able to focus on the task at hand after hearing what Kamuri has to say. Back outside, as Nozomi and Nasayako continue fleeing, they come across Just Cause, which is Mia. Adesis attempts to attack her from behind, but Saiko shouts out a warning and prevents Just Cause from coming to any further harm. She is pretty heavily injured already, though. Mia decides that it would be best for Nozomi and Saiko to stay with her for a little while. Forgot to mention that Mia actually got injured. She actually ended up getting shot with one of those bullets, and she is severely injured, but she's fighting through yep. it at this she's moment in bleeding. time. She's kind of bleeding out a little bit. The forces outside are unable to prevent the enemy from entering the base, so it falls to Asuka and Warners to stop them. They find themselves confronted by Whiplash, Geis, and their artificial fairy, Kilgi. Geis has prepared Xenobite class Desus to keep Rapture distracted while Whiplash fights Warners. With those two occupied, Geis heads straight for General Tabira. Geis won't simply be able to approach General Tabura, though, as first he, ha he has to contend with Kenju, the fairy of protection. Let's just say that this is a one-sided fight. That fairy turns into it actually turns into a giant wolf. Yeah. A badass, a badass swordsman, really. Yeah, he looks dope. Yep. As for Asuka, a little help from Sachu and a frag grenade soon seems to seem sees her escaping from the Cenobite class thesis meant to hold her back. She rushes straight for General Tabura and finds her incapacitated. She actually got her head stomped on by that Desus, too. I actually thought she died at that moment in time. Yeah, I thought she was dead. Yep. Geis' target was General Tabura, but rather the magical item she brought with her from the spirit world. Unfortunately, he overwhelmed the General before Asuka could get there. The episode ends with Asuka preparing to confront Geis, so there's your end of the episode. And that's the end of episode 10. In episode 11, the fight between the military and the battle brigade continues. Before we get into the action of this episode, we are finally introduced to the fifth member of the Legendary Five as she looks during the present day. Lao Pei is in Thailand and she catches some news about the attack in Naha. She hopes not to get dragged into it. There are two fights happening during this episode, and the first one here is War Nurse vs. Whiplash, and Whiplash also explains why he is called Whiplash, and it has nothing to do with the weapon she wields. Warner struggles to defend herself against Whiplash's attack, but then Whiplash makes a mistake. Whiplash tells Warner she is going to make her a punching bag, which brings back all those awful memories of her being bullied back in the day. So all those flashbacks come flooding back to her. Warner has no intention of being treated like an object ever again. So she just absolutely rages and beats the shit out of Whiplash. Jacito. Yep. Unfortunately for War Nurse, though, Whiplash is very proficient when it comes to karate, and she ends up getting pinned. As Whiplash starts pummeling her, War Nurse comes very close to returning back to her old self. However, she gathers up her resolve and is able to break free from Whiplash and stick her with a syringe. Switching over to Rapture's fight against Geis, we see Sachu offering support by gunning down the smaller desis that are present. That allows Rapture to focus on her target. Geis is an anti-magical girl weapon, so Rapture is having a rough, very rough time fighting him. She is unable to properly block his attacks, and she seems to get crushed under a pile of rubble that falls. Her scythe knife also can't break his armor, so she's been having to deal with that as well. Rapture wasn't crushed, but she did lose her left arm in that, with that rubble falling on top of her. Rapture and Geis take a moment to talk to each other, and they actually understand each other's motives. Still, though, Rapture is determined to protect the world because there are beautiful things in it. With a little help from Sachu, Rapture is able to strike at a weak point between 
or in Geist's armor. Her weapon gets stuck though, and her foe isn't defeated yet. Zuko arrives at the scene of the battle, shooting at Geese with normal bullets. Of course, they have no effect, but that wasn't really what Zuko was after. Instead, he has a new weapon for Rapture to use, the Eternal Ironworks Magic Blacksmith Illumarian Topor, which was the uh, axe we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It was the weapon wielded by one of the Russian magic mercenaries that tortured Nozomi a little while back. <clears throat> with that, Rapture is able to fight with Geist to a, to a close. Before we get to the aftermath of the fight against Geist, we take a moment to check in on Mia, Nozomi, and Saiko. They are surrounded by Desus, and Mia is still injured. However, an ally shows up to get them out of a sticky situation. Phoenix showed up, completely eliminating the Desus and making the area safe again. Just with one one blast of her gun, too. Oh, yeah. With that out of the way, we can now see the aftermath of the fight against Geist. The ice is cut from his armor and there's not a whole lot left of him. He tells Rapture that their target never was General Tabura, but the magic item she brought along with her. War Nurse arrives shortly afterwards and quickly gets to work, reattaching Rapture's arm after Sachu brings it over. Whiplash, whom War Nurse had dragged along with her, regains consciousness and sees Geist's true self. Geist reveals that the accident that crippled Whiplash and killed her mother was a setup by the Babel Brigade. Geist passes away after revealing that, leaving Whiplash to fall into insanity. She actually starts laughing instead of crying. Yeah, yeah her, you can see it in her eyes. Yep. Whiplash was taken away, and Rapture's arm is healed. Rapture and Warners go outside, where they are reunited with Mia and Phoenix. Seeing her friends are still alive, Rapture hugs them, and so does Warners. Mia's instincts. There is also one more who wants to get in on the hug. General Tabura actually ended up morphing into a fairy. A fairy, and she wants to get in on this action, which Asuka actually allows her to. She was okay with the fairy version yeah. of her doing that yeah. rather than the adult version. Yeah, she's a little overbearing. Yeah, she is. Guys wasn't able to kill General Tabura when he attacked her, though she was heavily injured. As such, she has reverted into her fairy form, so she will heal quicker. Is what they told us. Rapture also seems to be much more appreciative of her hugs in that form, too. And that was <laughs> the end of episode 11. Yep. On to episode 12. At the beginning of episode 12, Asuka and Kurumi are struggling to complete their action reports as everybody in combat has to fill out. Sachu floats nearby, eating junk food, just watching them, and Asuka and Kurumi are talking about how the spirits are so lucky because they don't have to fill out the reports, but actually they do, but all they do is put a paw print on a piece of paper. Sachu <laughs> agrees with them that that's all it really is, so he awkwardly drifts away. Yeah. Little asshole. Yep. Later, Kurumi works out her frustration on Chisato because torture would confirm Kurumi's impression that Chisato knows nothing of value. We also get introduced to Pepe now. She's the final survivor of the magical magical girls. And she's finally made her appearance, and she's not exactly following in Asuka's footsteps. It doesn't seem to be of her own choice. Finally, though, Asuka and Kurumi take Saiko and Nozomi to the maid cafe, where they meet the two surprise staffers and help Asuka clarify her vision for the future. The next scenes were honestly kind of brutal with that torture. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to start describing this one, but it, 
was one of my favorite moments just because it's not my thing, but it was captured perfectly for how they were trying to portray it. Yeah. I didn't like it, but it went well with how that would go. Right. But Kurumi finished torturing Chisato, but she ended up bringing in that other girl. I can't remember what her name is, but she comes in the room and she says, I brought a dog. Nazanin. Yes, Nazanin. So she brought her, brings her in on a leash and Nazanin is literally breathing like a dog, barking like a dog. Yep. Panting like a dog. <laughs> yep. But in this scene, she's just trying to convince Chisato to turn to the good side of the magical girls. They want to use her too. They don't see her as a bad person because they framed everything. The, the brigade framed everything. Yep. It was all They plan. killed her mom. They did everything. Yep. So they know that she's not a bad person. So they're trying to bring her into their squad. So we return back to the maid cafe, and I don't think it's that Asuna or Kurumi are necessarily looking for a thank you, but Asuka asked the girls what they thought about the magical girl they met in Okinawa was like. They were talking about Mia, because she saved both of them. Sayako said she was noble and strong, but she was in pain. Sayako was impressed that she was willing to risk her own life to protect someone she didn't even know. This was the most interesting part to me. She said that it was, wasn't just because she was a magical girl. She recognized that others would do the same thing, and people like that really were the only reason they had any peace to speak of. She broke off embarrassed when she saw Asuka and Kurumi smiling. It had to be a relief to hear that their efforts meant something. So the episode's ending, and Queen and Ab- Abigail are standing around, and Queen says, what do you need to go to war? And Abby says, soldiers and guns, right? And Queen says, no, an enemy. You don't bring war upon yourself, do you? So, unfortunately, there's not a season two to this. Which blues! Yeah, but my final rating for this was a five. Five? I gave it a five. I... I could not stand most of the combat scenes. Really? I could not stand the eyes on Asuka. Every time I looked at her fucking eyes, I wanted to fucking gouge mine out. Golly! You went totally left field. I thought you would have liked this one a lot. I did too, and I would return for a season two just to see what happens. And I can honestly say that I've wanted this for a while. It's just a darker magical girl film. They dig into PTSD, psychological issues, some gruesome moments such as limbs getting chopped off, heads getting squashed, bodies stuffed in cubes. The battle scenes were very mediocre to me, and kept they kept using cutaways during the biggest parts of the action. Right. And then they were, mo- they were moving camera shots with still images, which irritates the fuck out of me, man. There's no movement. Like, there were some things that really just irked me about this, and I don't think they had a high budget to make it. Right, they probably didn't have enough money to get everything out. And the biggest thing that irked me, whenever they were in that battle at the sixth Naha, yeah, if you ever if you listen to the guns firing, they would be doing like a three round burst, yeah, but it was going full auto. And then whenever you're watching the bullet, like you, they'll go from watching the three round burst, and then you'll go to watching where the bullets are hitting, yeah, and then it's full auto, yeah. That irked the absolute 
fuck out of me. Like Golly. the visuals in this were just absolute shit. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised. And the show really doesn't excel in anything. It's just meta me. I would come back to see what happens with the development of the girl of mass mass destruction and to see who Queen actually is. Yeah, to see if your prediction's right. Yeah, and I just want to see if Queen would wipe out four of the five besides Asuka. I feel like Asuka, of course, would win, but she would lose the four other magical girls. Oh, yeah. And that's really all I want to see from this. I got you. Yep, so, I mean, I might pick up the manga. The manga might be better. I don't know. Maybe. I I never know. is, Is the manga finished? I have no honest clue. I haven't looked into it yet. I got you. Well, what were your final thoughts on this? I, here comes my crappy take. I actually kind of liked this show. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Holy smokes. Yeah. The action was good to me. Uh, it could have been better. I think I the think, action was great. I just did not like the visuals. Uh, I think they made them too OP. I too overpowered. I, uh, the whole PTSD thing with Asuka. It was too much. Like, I'm just gonna sit here and stare at the floor and it was like a fucking tape recorder to me, man. It was the same yeah. thing over and over and over again. It was the same scene. Yeah. You got to see a little bit more of that same scene every time, but it was the same thing. Yeah. Overall, I enjoyed this one. It it'll make me come back for a second season if there is a second season ever gonna come out, but I doubt there will. I just wanna see who the queen is. Yep, me too. I think it's Francine. I think so, too, because she has the same haircut. Uh, I think same voice, too, right? Yeah, that sounded like it. Yeah. And the fact that Asuka recognized her, and yep. then she She said, knows she knows her. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's episode. Next week, we will be watching Spriggan, streaming on Netflix, average score of 6.85, release, released... <laughs> June 2022, six episodes long. Episode duration, though, is 45 minutes. Oh, boy. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Okie Anime out.